You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything. It has to be thrown out and trampled in the salt. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people like a lamp to be put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father. Thanks, Cindy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this, uh, this, this body of teaching, this sermon that you preached 2,000 years ago that was so helpful then is, um, and is so incredibly helpful uh, today, relevant, current to our lives. Would you help us just to really understand it and uh, learn from you today? That's what we ask for, Lord, is your spirit just to touch us, each of us, where we're at, that we might uh, be drawn closer to you and be made more into your likeness. Um, and so, Lord, I just uh, commit this time to you now and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, all right. Uh, question at the top here. How are Christians to share the love of God with others? How are, how are followers of Jesus to share the love of God with others? I think this is a pressing question because I think a lot of us can think of any number of ways that when it comes to the Christian faith being shared, that when it's shared, it's not always with the feeling of, you know, it's a step forward. You know, you, you following me? But it, it might not be the most helpful. How are we to share the faith? In this text, that is, that is something that Jesus is addressing head on. And he gets really straightforward about it, really, really uh, practical about it. Really, and it has a powerful thought here. Uh, he says in the, the very last verse that was just read, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. There it is, good deeds. Do good things, do good deeds, and people can't help but make the connections. They won't be able, they, they won't be able to help but connect the dots. Now, I'm not thinking Jesus here is saying they will, you know, stop everything they do, fall on their knees and say, wow, okay, that, that sort of thing. I think, I think he's, what he's saying is they will understand that there's something behind what's going on there and... There, that source is ultimately God. It's worth mentioning here at the top that the word that Jesus chose for good deeds here, actually it's two words, um, is not the, the, the one that is almost always used in the Bible to describe good deeds. As you might imagine, that, that word shows up a lot, actually, in the Bible. Good deeds, good works, that sort of thing. And usually when it's being said, it's more a generic, you know, philanthropic work, you know, just just very generic and straightforward. Uh, but Jesus uses actually a quite more unique way of describing it here that's worth thinking about. And so when, and when he says the word good, th that word actually, we miss it in the English, but it's basically talking about something, deeds that are, that are exceptionally beautiful, that they are, they are, they are, they are attractive. Jesus is saying, uh, especially, by the way, in the, in the moral sense is, is what that word's getting at. He's saying when, you're, when you live the life according to my teachings, it, it, in its actions, it won't help but be attractive to those around. People will, won't help but say, wow, there's something to that. That's amazing. Um, now, what does this look like? What do these good deeds look like? Especially given that there's a lot of deeds out there that aren't the most attractive. Even the good deed variety. 
that aren't always attractive, whether religious or non-religious. What is Jesus talking about, and how do we actually do, have these good deeds? Well, we, we need to remember that this all builds on what we looked at last week, okay? So last week, we kicked off our, our sermon series that we're going through right now. Jesus' most famous sermon in the Bible, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Why? Because he went up on a mountainside. Sermon on the Mount, we'll call it. And what we're calling our series is unexpect, uh, Upside Down Kingdom. It was just completely unexpected, this news that Jesus brought. And how did he kick the whole things off? He kicked it off with these uh, ancient Beatitudes, probably the most familiar part of this you know, uh, famous sermon of his, the blessed ours. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, we looked at last week. Best, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. We looked at that. And the big point we made last week, as Jesus kicked this whole thing off, is that in these Beatitudes, Jesus didn't come giving good advice for how we gain God's blessing, but he came announcing the good news for how God came to bless. Put another way, we, we, said, it, we said, God didn't come to help those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible, despite what Grandma says. But rather, he came to help those who understand they cannot help themselves. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who understand deep down we don't have any, any spiritual chips to cash in, that, that we've earned up credits, we've done some, some good works, and we can say, God, now, now we deserve your blessing. We expect your blessing. But rather, they have the posture of mourning, the posture of, of meekness, that, that the problem is beyond us and, and we need outside help, who hunger and thirst for Christ's righteousness, who only he can give. We talked about the parable of, uh, that Jesus gave. Uh, actually, he even addressed it to those who feel like they're very righteous and look down on others. This is actually how he sets up this parable. And he talks about this tax collector and this Pharisee, the Pharisee being this religious leader, the, the, the person who would no doubt be on the religious in crowd. He said both of them went to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee, what, did, how, what was his prayer like? God, thank you for making me not like others, especially like this tax collector here. I've done all these good things. And then Jesus describes the tax collector who comes, approaches the temple, has to remain in a distance and says, beating his breast, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus made the point, it's to that tax collector, that, that tax collector is the one who went home justified before God. Jesus was saying, it's not about being in the religious in crowd, not thinking that you have the right to earn and, and build up spiritual credits. No, it's understanding that we are all by nature poor in spirit. We are spiritually in need of outside help, and that's what Jesus came to do. That's the blessing he's come to give. And now, don't you see, as Jesus is building on that and now talking about good works, how these are going to be attractive? Because they get at the very heart. The, the very heart of Jesus' teaching begins to root away the things that make good deeds unattractive, things like self-righteousness, which, by the way, a lot of people have issue with Christians about Oh, just so self-righteous. If we understand truly the, centri the central message of Jesus, there's no room for self-righteousness. It's, it's the, the very core of what Jesus is saying is you have no righteousness apart from me. It's a, it's a posture of extreme humility and yet extreme confidence of saying, well, it's your power, and so we're going to live through this humility and live unto you. And now you start to see that those deeds, when we live out that, when we receive that, they can't help but be attractive. So that's all nice. Let's unpack that and understand what does that look like in our lives and how can we lean into that as followers of his if, if, if you are a follower of his. 
So to get, get right into it, I actually want to start today by kind of laying out the main thought as I see it and then kind of going from there. The main thought in, in this text here, you, we have these most famous of metaphors, right? Salt, earth, uh, uh, light, very famous metaphors. Before getting into the nuances, like what is salt? What, what do salt and light ultimately do? Like what, what do they each do? They impact their surroundings. I, I think that's what Jesus is getting here, high level. He's his followers need to, must impact those around them. If God has blessed us, we have to be a conduit for that blessing to go to others. We have to impact our surroundings. It's all over the text here, okay? He says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And then verse 16, really straight, really just, you know, out there, let your light shine before others. Christians, followers of Jesus, must have impact, must have an outward focus. The faith of Jesus is not about escaping the world. The faith of Jesus is not about just being and building up the church at the neglect of serving and loving others around us. Uh, Building up the church, being the church is important. That's why we're here today. It's important. But we must be thinking in terms of impact collectively and as individuals. A couple of things I want to notice here, just still at the high level, is first, see that Jesus actually has a bit of a warning here. Did you hear it when Cindy read the scripture? He says, verse 13, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. If you know Jesus' teachings, if, you've, if you were here with us when we went through the book of Mark a little ago, or you just read up on Jesus' teaching, you know that these are especially stern words from Jesus. It's, it's stronger in tone than Jesus' normal go-to, right? I mean, he gets worked up about certain things here and there, but for the most part, this kind of sticks out. And whenever things stick out like this, the stronger tone in nature, it behooves us to lean in a little bit and say, well, what's getting Jesus going here? Why is he using such strong language? I love the reason for which Jesus is getting strong in his language. The reason he's getting strong in his language is he's, you've got to, you've got to be living for others. You've got to be living, serving others. You've got to be thinking about, if all the things that gets Jesus really going, that's it. You've got to be living for others, caring for him. In case you're you're interested, there's other places in the Bible where Jesus actually has similar strong words for similar for the exact same thing. This is in the last book of the Bible, book of Revelation, in chapter 3, says to, to a church called Laodicea. These are the words of Jesus. I know your deeds, there it is, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Again, that's pretty harsh wording. Actually, I always chuckle when I read that now because the, the, the wording actually in, in, in the Greek, uh, the English translators kind of balk at that. What Jesus is actually more literally saying is, I want to th- throw you up, uh, which is, again, why? God blesses that we would be a blessing to others, that we would, that we would be blessing, caring for others. Another thing to notice at the high level is remember, remember who Jesus is talking to. Matthew 5, chapter 1, so the very first sentence in, in this whole setup to the series, when he goes up on the mountainside, who comes to him? Do you guys remember from last week? The crowds. His disciples, the crowds. Whenever one of these writers says the crowds, they're signaling something very helpful and very important. He's saying, everyday folks, 
When Jesus says, you are the salt, when he's saying, you are the light, he's not talking to a group of theologians sitting around him. He's not talking to a bunch of church workers. He's not talking to what, who everybody thinks is the, you know, in on the religious crowd. He's talking to you and me if, if, if you are or you become to his follower. That's his plan, to take the good news into the world, you and me. And then finally, notice this thought. He does not say you need to become the salt. You need to become the light. He says just straight out, you are the salt. You are the light, which is worth, worth, worth pondering, and we will more as we, as we go forward. So here's the big question right here, right at the top. I think if, if we just, man, as, as far as anything goes application-wise, if there's anything to take away, here it is. Uh, asking ourselves, are, are we having impact where we are? Are you having impact where you are? Are you being salt and light? Again, before we get into the nuances, which we'll go through briefly, uh, are, you, are you being salt? Are you being life? Are you having impact in your surrounding, surroundings? Are God's blessings coming through you? And if not, how could they be? Uh, you know, I just encourage you to think about this uh, real practically. I mean, just think about this in the, dis- the, the different areas of your life, in the, in the workplace. Are you having impact there? And if not, how could you be? In your neighborhood, are you having impact there? If not, how could you be? In your schools and what have you? You know, I, this is just, we could, you could chew on this for a while and think about it, consider, pray it through. You know, for instance, in, in our neighborhood, I, you know, we've, we, we've talked about this here at Current. You know, I'm asking the question, like, do I know my, my neighbor's names? Do I know the color of, of their couch? Do I know the, you know, their fears and their worries as well as their joys? Um, Jesus calls us to have impact on those around us. Okay, now let's get into kind of more of the nuances of these, these famous metaphors. There's a lot we can say. We're just going to mention a few. Uh, so to have impact, we have to be visible. Uh, we've got we've to become, we gotta be, we've got to be visible. You are the light of the world, which he continues to say, which can't be put under, under a bowl. You're a town built on a hill, which cannot be hidden. I love this idea of a city on a hill. Cities on hills, they're always the most beautiful things. You know, I mean, you probably, you probably have like an Instagram picture of your mind. Maybe it's more like a kingdom. Um, but they just capture your attention. They just draw your focus in. They're beautiful. They obviously also project things like order, governance, and protection. But first and foremost, what do they, what do, they do? They're visible. Um, I grew up in the East Bay, but I, I, we, my family moved there when I, was, when I was 11 years old. But when we were real young, when I, excuse me, when I was real young, uh, we used to sail out of San Diego, which was where I was born, uh, to Catalina Island every, every summer, which was a blast and absolutely nuts. We'd put all six of us kids and two parents on this itty-bitty boat. It was crazy. Um, but anyways, we'd go past, and, it, you know, there's interesting. There's this Point Loma uh, lighthouse there. If you've ever been there, it's this beautiful thing. It's a picturesque scene. Again, you can, like, Instagram everything from the, It's just, you know, you'll see just if you hashtag it, you'll just see wonderful pictures. It's beautiful. Um, but it hasn't been used as a lighthouse in over a century because whenever the clouds roll through, whenever the fog comes in, you can't see it. Which in the world of lighthouses is like makes it utterly useless. It's like, uh, if anything, like you 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 know they plot these things and you you expect it's going to be there and it's not. So in- instead, what they've done is they've put this real simple iron framework of a lighthouse down right at the water, and it, it's not really impressive in its own right, but it is extremely extremely useful. Uh, it, it can actually be seen all the way down to Mexico. It's only limiting factor is the curvature of the earth. 
Um, it's just this amazing deal, um, but it is visible. It can be seen. It's helpful. It's directing people. It's, it's all that sort of thing. Um, if you follow Jesus, do people know? And, and, and you know, and not just that maybe, you know, it's kind of a nominal thing for you, but building off again last week, uh, you know, that, that you're poor in spirit. Now, now, bear with me. I'm not saying you go into the office place and be like, oh, I'm poor. You know, it's like, what, how does that play out? Like a meekness. It's like, you know, when, when you mess up, when you mess up, do you own it? You know, do you, do you, do you, do you try to work ahead uh, for the good of everybody, not too worried about taking a little ding, but, but just saying, you know what, yeah, that's, that's on me and I, I want to move. Do people, do people sense and see, uh, do, do they know visibly that you're a follower of Jesus? And not so much a, in a look at me sort of way, but just more in a that's who you are sort of way. Uh, it seems to me one of the big callings for Christians in the Silicon Valley is to surface, is to become visible, is, is to, to make yourself known. But sometimes there's a fear there, isn't there? Um, you guys know I love to quote the uh, Netflix series Silicon Valley when they said, isn't Christianity borderline illegal in Northern California? Um, you guys get that. You know that. Um, th- there's a fear there, but uh, we need to be visible and so that folks can see and begin to see more fully the love, God, the love of God and the blessings of God that he wants to have for those around you and me. Um, you know, I've, I've mentioned this before. Uh, you know, I, I always kind of laugh when I hear people say, oh, man, I never realized Christians were so normal, which, which is always kind of funny. It's like, What's, what was that all about? And I've thought about it more, and I realized, you know, first of all, that, that, that's nothing like pat ourselves on the back, like, hey, cool, people are thinking of Christians in, that, you know, in the sense of they're not as weird as they otherwise would have thought. Or, you know, it's, it's more to me like, wow, they're starting to make the connections of dots. If we're living out the way Jesus calls us to live, loving, sacrificially, not perfect, but owning it when we mess up, doing these sorts of things, they're starting to say, well, there's something different here. And what is that? I think that's what we're talking about. And that begins with being visible. By the way, pub trivia, some of that is just being visible, just being out there and that sort of thing. Um, to have an impact, we have to be visible. Number two, we have to bring, we, we, we bring life and joy into our surroundings. This is, this is the deal with the salt. You guys, of course, know that in Jesus' day, uh, it, salt was a preservative first and foremost in function uh, without refrigeration and all that sort of thing. What Jesus is saying here is the natural order of things is towards decay. And not just physically, but socially, morally, culturally, things just tend to move in that direction. And what he's saying is, Christians, followers of mine, blessed are the peacekeepers, blessed are the merciful. You, you got you to be preservative there. You got to bring life. You got to bring, bring joy. You know, in, in a parallel passage, uh, Peter, uh, one of the early church leaders, basically says the same thing in a different, different, slightly different way. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify your God. What is Peter saying? And by the way, what is Jesus also himself saying? That's just exactly like what Peter was saying there. The very proceed, the, 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 the verse that immediately precedes the text that we're looking at uh, is the beatitude of blessed are, those who, blessed are those when people insult you or persecute you. When people say all kinds of you know, evil against you. Um, what Jesus, what Peter are saying is that some, there's going to be points, if you're living out the life that Jesus calls you to, 
that it's going to rub people. It's going to, there's, going to be, there's going to be some friction. There's going to be some offense. That's, good, that's natural. Jesus says, you expect that. Take joy, actually. That means it's happening. My love's getting out there. But then there's also, at the very same time, a level of attractiveness that just no doubt will also be there. We've got to bring life. And we've got to bring joy. And joy, I really like this thought, is this is the function of salt I really enjoy. And that's the flavor part. Uh, Salt also brings flavor to, to what it is. And I think that means as we bring, as we have a preserving effect, as we bring life into situations, we also do it with great joy. Last week, if you were here, I, you know I mentioned the story of William Wilberforce, Wilberforce, uh, a Christian Englishman who lived at the turn of the 18th century, basically single-handedly accredited for ending the European slave trade. So just an incredible guy. If, you're, if, you, uh, if, if you missed last week's message, you can go online. I, I shared his conversion story, how he came to know Jesus, which is really fun. I mean, he, he came to the place where he just was like, he had the world. He, he political clout, do whatever he wanted to do. And he just got to the place where he was like, oh, my goodness, I am poor in spirit. I just, I need, I need Jesus. And thank God. For, poor in spirit, mourning, meek, and all that sort of thing. And then in thirsting, hungering and thirsting for Jesus' righteousness, which again, another one of those beatitudes, he's like, I want to dedicate my life to ending the slave trade in Europe. And so he committed himself to this work. And early on, he realized that he couldn't just change legislation. He couldn't just pass new laws. He had the daunting task of changing culture. Okay? And so he went after that, and, and what amazes me about his story is he, he never vilified his opponents. He made a lot of enemies in this deal. Remember, this is not 21st century America in terms of thinking of slavery. This is back then. He made a ton of opponents, but he was never, and shame on you guys, so much as he was, let's celebrate, let's, let's realize that we need to have a love for life and human dignity. One of the, the little vignette stories that really struck out to, stuck out to me that I want to share here is at one point, like he realized culturally that the English were not super big on loving their families at home. Like the English men, specifically the men, they would, they would go to work, they'd work late hours, and then when they came back, I mean, they would kind of like sequester themselves from their, from their kids. They were like disciplining, and that was basically their whole deal. You didn't really spend time with your kids. Wilberforce was like, man, we got we to gotta change that. So what he did, instead of getting up there and saying, you, you guys are idiots, he went out, and he just started very purposely. He was a man of cloud and position, so people looked to him. He would, get, he would leave work at an appropriate time. Dude was overworked, okay? So it was, he was very, carving out, very spe- uh, specifically carving out time to do this. He'd get home, he'd eat, and then he'd, he'd purposely go outside and play with his kids outside in front of the house. Now, you need to realize, as you know, the biographer was telling, telling, telling the, the reader, that this was scandalous back then. Eng- proper Englishmen did not do that. But think about, I mean, 21st century America, we think about like, you know, dads, parents going out and playing with their kids. Well, of course. And how do we take, how do we take that for granted? And yet here we, ha- we can thank folks like Wilberforce being salt. And not just doing it in, in any way, but doing it, doing it joyfully. Um, you know, how can you be salt in the workplace, where, wherever you might be? And again, this looks different for, for all of us in, in, in all our different spheres, but, you know, is there in the workplace, say, you know, a culture of gossip, culture of unhealthy criticisms, toxicity? I don't know. Is there a way that you can be salt there? 
in having impact, we are to be intentional, uh, even uh, strategic. That's kind of kind of how, how it came to me. You know, verse 15 says, Neither do we light, uh, do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. You know, when I read, I like to not just have light, I like to have the light positioned in a good place. You know what I'm saying? I'm actually kind of like finicky about that. It's like, you need the light to be like, right? It's, it's important for like, like placement. And I think that's what Jesus is actually saying here when he says, no, don't just, don't just not put it under the bowl. Put it on a lamp, uh, the, the lampstand so that it fills the room and all the surroundings, everyone gives light to everyone in the house. Uh, remember the illustration that I used earlier? I think you could do double duty here with the, with the, the lighthouse that is down on the ground and, and, and being ex- exceptionally useful and, and helpful there. I'll never forget a time when Cindy and I were living in China. Uh, this was in my young days. Uh, we were living in China, and I had the opportunity to meet with a couple of businessmen over lunch. And, uh, you know, young guy, not really well-versed in the, the business world or whatever, just young pastor guy, just kind of whatever. And I was listening to these guys talk about business. Again, they're high-octane, just, just doing some, some wonderful things. And I was just like, man, I am so out of my league. This is so fun to, like, learn. Like, this is an educational experience to hear these guys break down the business, and I was like, wow, cool. At one point, at some point, the, the conversation shifted for the, for the reason of the meeting, and that was to focus on uh, care for orphanages. And um, I thought that, that was, you know, that was pretty cool because I was like, ooh, now I'm going to be able to hang in this conversation. I've, you know, I've served at an orphanage or two. I'm going to understand this conversation. I didn't understand the conversation. These guys were like rolling out maps and not talking about an orphanage or two. They're talking about hundreds of orphanages, all quietly, without fanfare, under the radar, just like how can we move the the battle pieces to have maximum impact for the least of these? And I realized in that conversation, how cool is it to get to listen to essentially what was their earthly business that they were doing you know, very passionately and lovingly for the sake of this heavenly business that they cared a lot about, this kingdom pushing forward. And not just doing it like, hey, let's do it, but like applying the same like intentionality and strategies. How do we maximize giving, you know, serving the least of these? You know, I think of the illustration of like a faucet. God's like blessings are just like ready to come out. We just want to open up that faucet as much as we can. Um, we need to be thinking about being intentional and strategic. And by the way, of course, that, that, you know, that's a big example, and you know, these, these guys are, are pretty cool. Um, but for, actually, to, to th- think about that for one second here, we are in the Silicon Valley. I think about our light in a, in, in a similar way. You know, here we are in the Silicon Valley to think about these things, pray about these things. But that's one example. Examples don't have to be the big and the impressive or, you know, in, in that sense. It's often the quiet faithfulness, the humble things of what God is, uh, that, that God uses in significant ways, just really powerful ways. And he sees what you do. He sees your faithful, faithfulness is honored by that. But the question again is, are you looking to join him? Um, maybe there are opportunities on your team at work or your neighborhood or on your sports team or your local school. Uh, Caleb started at the neighborhood public school this year. There's so much opportunity to be, be salt and light there. We feel like we're only uh, beginning to see just a tiny corner of it. Um, both Caleb and Cindy have, have really been uh, relishing getting to know people, the teachers, the administration, getting involved in events. And Cindy is trying her best to carve out time that she really doesn't have right now uh, to spend more uh, there and just try to figure out how might God, uh, why might God have us there. 
Uh, so I just encourage you to think about praying through. How can we be intentional? How can we, be, can we use the opportunities, the spaces we're in, uh, to have impact, to see God work in and through us? Uh, one more thought on this, and then we'll, we'll kind of bring it together. You know, I, this might be stretching the salt metaphor just a little bit too far. Maybe not. I don't think so. Um, but in, in, in terms of its preserving sense, I liked, you know, salt at the end of the day is, is best used when it's used uh, in community. You know, when there's more than just one little crystal, you know, it's, it's used. And I think that Jesus is saying here, there, there's, a, there's obviously an individual component to this. We need to be salt. We need to be light. But there's also a community component. And so as a church, we're always thinking about this, praying through and looking for ways that we can be involved. By the way, come to tonight's all-church prayer meeting. We'll be praying about this. Um, but why are we thinking about these things? Why, why, why are we like being, why is there a little bit of a sense of urgency? Because Jesus' scope is so huge. It's so incredible. He says to this random crowd, right? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The breadth in the impact that Jesus was calling his disciples to must have seemed absolutely ridiculous at the time. Um, how could these humble Galileans salt the earth or light the world? But they did. And we can. Last thought. Verse 16, which everything kind of leads up to. We started here, we'll end here. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You want to hear something cool? I never knew this before today, and I've read my Bible, you know. This is the first time the word Father shows up in the New Testament. Uh, the New Testament being the part of the Bible about Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, and then, then the church. This is the first time this incredibly important descriptor of God as Father shows up. It's, it's a descriptor I use every day, Father. I, use, I, I will use it today. It's incredibly helpful. And so think about the way in which we're introduced to this word. I can't, the, I can't put it more eloquently than this 19th century pastor. The object of our shining is not that men may see how good we are, nor even see us at all, but that they may see grace in us and God in us and cry, what a father these people must have. Is not this the first time in the New Testament that God is called our father? Is it not singular that the first time it peeps out should be when men are seeing the good works of his children? We live as light for him. We also live as light because of him. The Beatitudes were all about this. This text is predicated on all that Jesus is. How is that? Well, where is the source? Who is the source of our light? Jesus says any number of places in John, he says, when, when, when you're speaking to the people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of the life. Again, later in John, he says, I am the light of the world. Therefore, at the end of the day, we are reflectors of what we have received. If he is the sun, we are the moon. Now, I don't want to be shy about this. I don't want to detract from the tone of what Jesus is saying. There is an element here where we need to wrestle with this, okay? Jesus is being pretty straightforward. We've got to have impact. 
And when we don't have, and if we're not doing that, our, you know, there's a little bit of warning here about the salt and, and having diminishing returns and all that sort of thing. We got to have impact. Jesus wants us to wrestle with this. He wants us to think about this. He wants, to feel, he wants us to feel a little bit of attention. Are we doing this? And if we're doing this, how could we be doing it more? That's all there. And yet at the end of the day, this is all because of him. And the extent that we'll be able to do any of this is really going back to what we talked about last week and is at the central of Jesus' message. It's from the inside out, as we sang earlier today. We reflect what we have been given. To the extent that we understand that Jesus came to save us by grace alone, by faith alone, that is, it can only be received, nothing we can earn because of what he did on the cross, dying for our sins, that when we put our faith in him, we receive eternal life in his name. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. Nothing we can do can ever earn our way to, to God, but every, it's everything that he has done for us. When we understand this, this creates in us the ability, the drive to live in a way that's it's attractive, to live in such a way that people won't help but say there's something about that and begin to make the connection that that's because of the Heavenly Father and his blessings. So how can you rec- receive from God's blessings in Jesus? And how can you think about and pray through uh, how, you can have, how he can have impact through you? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this ancient, ancient message. Very famous and familiar text uh, that chances are, even if you know, we didn't grow up in the church, we've heard things about salt and light or whatever, even culturally mainstream, that sort of thing. Um, and yet it's, it's as relevant today as ever. It's as helpful today. Thank you for your light. Thank you for the light of Jesus that you sent him into the world, Father, to live the life we should have lived but couldn't live and died the death that we, we deserved apart from you. And that in him we can have life. We can have this light nothing that we can claim or earn for ourselves. And, f- and so, Father, we say thank you. If there's anyone here today, Lord, would you, would you move in their spirit to draw them into your family, even today? Lord, and for those of us who, ha- who have put our faith in you, we are your followers, would you help us to shine brightly? Would you help us to be the salt of the earth? Not so that, hey, Christians are cool, or hey, current is this happening place, Lord, we, just, we really want to say that's not our aim. That's not our goal. Our, our goal is what John the Baptist said when he first saw you. We must decrease. He must increase. Jesus, we need you to increase in our lives and in, and in our work for you. It's all, be, it's, all, it's all because of you. It's all for you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.